Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Angel of Words podcast, where your stories are heard. I am your host, Angel of Words. And before we get started, don't forget to type on that notification bell, subscribe, follow us on all the podcast platforms, visit the website, www.aowent.com. And if you want to leave a donation to the podcast, it is Cash App, A-O-W-N-Y-C, and you could do so also on Anchor.com, Angel of Words Entertainment. Now, today we have a very special guest all the way from California, the founder of the Color Compton, Miss Abigail Lopez Bird. Miss Bird, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Hi, hi, thank you for having me. Well, you know, this episode is very near and dear to my heart because I have a ton of family in California, you know, and I have a lot of little cousins spread out all over the region and especially in Compton itself. Uh, So first, I want you to tell us, you know, what is the Color Compton and what is your role in uh, this not-for-profit organization? Yeah, well, I mean, yes. And I also want to hear more about family that you have out here. I'm always looking to connect, you know, families between the coast. So I always get excited when I learn that people either have family in New York or folks in New York have family out here. Um, I have a ton. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's dope. So, yeah, I'm from Compton, born and raised. And Color Compton really came from my own experiences of growing up here in the city and my own passion. You know, I started off as a photographer. When I was in high school, I took a darkroom um, photography class and that really sparked my passion and love for the arts. And then while I was, you know, getting my master's, my bachelor's, I really grew to love history and I wanted to expand on history. And so in all my jobs, I always started blending the two. I was like, well, how can I incorporate art into this job? you know, how can we talk about history? And I think history is so tied to identity work, right? Um, And working with youth of color, I really felt that that was really, you know, needed. I needed to talk about that. So through all of, you know, those experiences, personal and, you know, career-wise, when I came back home, you know, I I told my husband, Mark, I was like, we need to go back to Compton because this is what I feel like I need to do. And it all started coming in together, right? Like I knew I wanted to do a nonprofit in Compton around the arts because that's where my passion started. But then after time, history and education really um, started kind of coming into perspective as well as how I can put it together with the arts. And so it just felt like the perfect time. And I really started, it all kind of fell in together perfectly. And so what it is, what Color Compton is, it's a nonprofit here in Compton that is grounded on four pillars, history, art, community, and identity. And what we do is we work with youth to talk about the history of people of color nationally, but then focus it uh, to California and then even more local to Compton. So we really want to talk about what is the history of Compton? What are the narratives around Compton? What are the stories that are usually told around Compton? Um, and then what is their story, right? So we tie in the history and the things that we know to what they're currently experiencing. And then that's when the art comes in, right? So then they create art. So we do this through internships that are like six to nine weeks long. So we slowly start talking about all this. We talk about history. We talk about art, forms of representation, where they see themselves, where they don't see themselves, how would they want to see themselves? 
And then we always end the internships with galleries. So the students get to present um, their art um, to each other, to their family members. And so that's that's kind of the main piece of our programming. The other piece that we have is community workshops that are open to everyone. And in those areas, we're trying to foster intergenerational conversations. So, for example, our last community workshop that we had was on the Black Panther Party and Art and Compton. So we had a formal Black Panther member that was in the Compton chapter come in and talk about his experience, you know, with the party. And then we also had an artist coming in to talk about her work with curating art shows around Black Panther and activist uh, activism art. And then we had a young person begin that facilitation. And so, you know, here we have like a 20-something-year-old along with, I mean, I don't want to give folks stage, I don't want to guess me, but... <laughs> you know, older generation that <laughs> yeah, was in the party. And so the that's more mature kind of, generation, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what we are wanting to do, right? Like uh, foster those conversations between generations and but then also create opportunities where the youth are thinking about these things and kind of creating their own narratives and their own stories and using the arts to have these conversations. Now, do you have to be an artistic type of child to to be part of this wave, you know, to enroll in these programs or is this something for everybody? No, no, it's something for everyone. You don't okay. uh, you don't have to have any prior you know, knowledge in art. You don't have to be a skilled painter or photographer. It's just if you're interested. Right. I okay. think and a lot of all time- ages, uh, Abigail. Yeah, so the internships, yeah, the internships are between 16-year-olds and like 20, sometimes we've had 22-year-olds. So it's like goes into young adults because when you have, you know, that high school age, that's usually where folks either continue their education or think about what their career goals are. You know, they're right at that cusp. So that's why we want to engage those folks to be like, okay, well, now you're starting to think about what is life possibly going to look like after high school? And what is it that you want to do? Do you want to follow a artistic, creative um, career? Do you want to go into higher education? Do you know your own history, where you come from, where your family comes from? How does that impact you? How does it not impact you? And have those conversations because there's very few places where they might be having these conversations, you know, specifically here in Compton. Like I, there's not too many creative spaces. Now, uh, are you using those uh, programs online like Ancestry.com and things of that nature? Do, do you use that kind of technology in this, uh, uh, with these programs or no? No, no, we, okay. we do not. So, no, we. Okay. I mean, that's a good idea for, for the future and definitely figuring out the right tool to use for, for that ancestry, like individual ancestry, because, um you know, people of color often have a hard time tracing their history. And so, you know, we're developing other projects to really capture and archive what that looked like. So looking at family photos, community photos and um, stories, you know, there's always stories. You know, we learn about our family through, you know, my tia used to do this or your grandma always tells the story or whatever it is. Right. That's how we learn our history. It's not in textbooks. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that we are trying to do with another project that we're in the middle of rolling out right now is archiving those stories 
right? Because then as folks start, you know, passing, the stories go with them. Unless somebody wants to continue, you know, sharing that and telling that and retelling. I mean, that's a oral history is definitely a part of a lot of folks of color community communities. But um, we want to start archiving. that. Is it difficult to archive, though? I mean, you know, what's that process like? You know, because like you said, you know, these are stories that are being told. Like, are you able to find artifacts? Because, you know, I remember that I was watching your forum that you did with those three young ladies. And, you know, one of the ladies went in and was actually going into the library and uh, I think somewhere in Compton and actually researching and finding, you know, old artifacts of, of, of the essentially the beginnings of, uh, you know, that that whole city and is that something that you're doing or like you are you working with like you know people that uh that are anthologists and things of that nature yeah yeah so there are folks that you know our libraries are resources right museums have resources that have archives but the problem is that when we think about archives or what is considered an archive um it becomes not accessible right not all the time. Some of the libraries, you know, they are accessible. You can go into the archives, but usually you have to request it. What are you doing it for? You know, if it's attached to a school, for example, Compton itself, a lot of the visual archives that are from or that are about Compton, the city of Compton, are with the Cal State Dominguez Hills Library. And so you have to connect with them to get you know, access to any digitized archives, or you have to go in there and talk to, you know, the librarian, the archivist, the archivist specialist to talk, to get those, you know, things. And so not everybody just knows, and it's just walking around here like, hey, I want to look at these archives. Like, let me go, you know what I mean? And so that, it's not that accessible, right? And then also thinking about what types of archives, you know, newspapers, photographs, film, um, music, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's there's different mediums, I guess, of, of archives. Um, and something that I'm trying to work on here at Color Compton is really demystifying what, who makes an archive, who, who then gets the stamp and say, well, now this is an archive, you know? Like if I took a picture of my daughter yesterday, can I say that that is now an archive? Or does somebody from an institution have to come in and be like, you know what? This is an archive because of this. Yeah, and so we an talk- authentication process, essentially. Yeah. Right, right. And so we talk a lot about that with the students of like, well, what gets deemed important enough to go into an archive? What is the story that it's trying to tell? And so that's why we encourage them looking at their own experiences of what are they trying to archive? What are they trying to preserve? Because really it's preserva- preservation, you know? We want to preserve our histories, our family, our experiences, Um, because if not, let's say an outsider does that archive process, it's not it's not for the same purpose. It's not going to tell the same story. So we we talk a lot about the purpose of telling stories, the purpose of archiving um, and who the audience is. And so essentially what I'm trying to do with Color Compton is bring all those resources and that ownership within the community. So does that you become, know, oh, no, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. Continue. Oh, no. Does that become difficult though, Abigail, in this 
atmosphere and the social climate of uh, misinformation and disinformation to get people to buy in into what the Collar Compton is trying to do? Um, I don't think so. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm not understanding the question right. Do you mean miss? You know, the, the facts are always being challenged. Now we live in a, a society where facts are coming in from different angles. And, you know, it's kind of hard to believe, you know, to, to believe what you're reading or what you're listening. Everybody always has like some kind of subjective opinion about it. So when you go to enroll people and tell them, like, look, this is what we're going to teach. Uh, you know, our parents a little bit like uh, shaky about the information that you're giving the children that are coming in to enroll in the, into the Color Compton? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, thankfully, I haven't experienced that um, because a lot of the times what we're trying to do is not. We're trying to remind folks that all of their stories and experiences have a purpose. If we're both from Compton, right, we're both the same age. And I'm saying Compton is this, and you're saying no, Compton is that. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about, okay, well, let's document that experience so we can complicate what is the experience of Compton. Because I think that that's the problem when we think about communities like Compton is that we don't complicate what it means to be from this area. It's very singular. It's like, well, if you're from Compton, this is what you must be. And when you deviate from that and when you, when people see you and don't see what they expected, they're confused. They're like, I don't know. Let me question this. I don't, I don't know. She might be lying. I don't know. Right. And so that's because media, you know, and mainstream, mainstream media has always perpetuated this single narrative around what it means to be from Compton. And so to then go to the youth and say, well, what is your story? And let's talk about it. And it, it might be different than mine. But that doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's yours. And let's put them all out there so we can continue to create varied experiences and complicate what it means to be from this area. Right. When we think about. And this is specifically, I guess, talking about people of color. Right. There's yeah. single yeah. narratives around people of color. But there's no single narrative of, you know, being white, for example. Uh, mainstream white culture is like. There's so many, you know, when we think about novels, when we think about movies, when we think about music or, you know, there's just so many avenues. You can't just say this one thing. But a lot of the times if you hear, well, I'm a person of color from uh, X community, it's like, OK, well, you must be this. You must know and how that's to rap. Not the you case. Know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's not the case. So it's like the more yeah. the more we learn, yeah. the more um, more exposure, the less you're likely to associate a single story with a person i appreciate that sense of diversification that you that you're trying to that you're bringing to the color compton the fact that you're trying to expand on uh, uh, you know the horizons has it become difficult or is it difficult now with with this social climate at a at a at an uproar within different factions uh to 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 create a story that doesn't make you seem like you're very biased mm -hmm, and to mm -hmm. teach these kids to, you know, that, you know, this is this and it, things aren't supposed to be like this, but this is what they are right now, unfortunately. Right, right. Um, I mean, I think that 
right now we're in a particular era where this work is really important and crucial um you know people want to see more see themselves represented more people want to be acknowledged people want to be treated you know equitable um and so i think that this work is really important right now um and I, you know, like I said earlier, thank God we haven't had anyone try to push back in terms of our curriculum because I'm not, it's not like I'm out here trying to raise little like um, anarchists or anything like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's not what I'm trying to do. Um, You're not raising leftists over there. You, you know, it's more about inclusion and education more than anything yeah, else. Yeah, it's I, about I, I, education because, you know, a lot of public schools, K through 12, don't talk about um, history, particular from people of color's view, from the oppressed, from the colonized point of view. If we think about the dates that we are taught to remember, it's like okay, the you know Declaration of 1492, Independence, yeah, things are like right. th that nature, right. yeah. And the reason why it's usually associated with some type of war. Right. These are the dates that are embedded in us. War. And then usually the U.S. won. So we don't we don't learn about, you know, the Haitian revolutionary or the revolution, you know, because why? Like who who won that? Well, how was the that Haitians an act of rebellion? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so we don't we don't learn. Yeah. And so when we think yeah. about the dates. Yeah. When we think about the dates and the events that make it into our textbook. It's very much a reflection of like, okay, well, who was in power? Who put together these books? What is its story? And, you know, we usually, I mean, I think now things are getting a little bit better, but I know when I was in high school too, we glanced through, you know, Black History Month. We learned about MLK and okay, moving on, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. Even then you don't talk too much about Malcolm the X. Poets and, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's like anything that's going to push back a little bit too much. It's not. It's like, OK, let's not talk about that too much. It has to be in a very well packaged way or, you know, slavery um, in a very deficit way. Not that, you know, obviously slavery was bad, but the history of slavery is much more nuanced than just this um, sharecropper image that is uh kind of embedded into into people i remember there's actually a group in in new york that is called the black gotham experience if you ever want to oh, check I, it out i actually um you know what's so funny you mentioned that because i was reporting on that uh, about three years ago they, oh, they really? were out here. yeah no i went to city hall they told they told they told us all about the history of you know african americans involved in this you know uh in the in the black gotham experience uh they they you know they they uh were showcasing films and things of that nature at the exhibit downtown near the south sea streetport that was an amazing experience and yeah. i was like man we need more of this that's actually like right before i was thinking about starting the podcast because I'm like, we need to get these stories out here. We need to just expand our knowledge of what really what, what has gone on in history, not just see one side of history. I really appreciate the fact that you and the Color Compton, you know, are building a curriculum that is that that is being inclusive because, you know, you're inviting white people, you're inviting Asian people, you're inviting Middle Easterners. I know that you're not, you know, just 
discriminated against anyone. And you're more than open and willing to share that knowledge of their cultures as well, you know? Right, right. Yeah. And and so, you know, I lived in New York for a while and I got an opportunity to work with um, the Black Gotham experience a couple of times. We would take our students there. And so he kind of inspired me as well to think about this merging of history and art. Um, and, you know, with the, obviously he focuses in, in New York, but here in Compton, I think about, you know, communities that don't really get representative our Samoan community in Compton. No one ever talks about that history. It's like, it's a, it's just black and brown. That's it. Um, and I think more recently people are like, oh, yes, you know, there used to be white people in Compton and Compton used to be a white suburb. Um, but then even more, you know, back of thinking of the original inhabitants of here in L.A. and how more than half were actually black. People are like, what? You know, and so the the people that originally inhabited this area, when you think about the Native Americans and how the land was used, all of that and how it went through different phases of land being stolen and treaties and the land was given and how it was distributed. And we have um, museums nearby that people can go in and visit and see how this was originally used. You know, Compton also has a huge equestrian community you know, the horses, wow. and now everybody's paying attention to like Compton Cowboys, you know, the black cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. And so that, that I makes me read it... about that. That's crazy. Wow. And yeah. you have like artwork and showcases about that at the color Compton or will you be making yeah. them uh, soon? Yeah. 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 We definitely, we have our space has, I would say I'm trying to curate a local Compton artist gallery. I would say, 90% of the art that's in here, I'm like looking around. <laughs> 90% of the artwork that we have in our offices is actually done by Compton natives. Um, okay. So we have so a the big artisans mural. are local. Yes, yes. There's only like one, two, three pieces, maybe four that are not um, Compton artists. The ones behind me are not Compton artists. Okay. But where they're from, the, just to let the audience know, it's some beautiful paintings right behind you. Yeah. Well, so all of the art is people is done by artists of color. The ones behind okay. me are the one of two that I actually found at a store and I saw it and I was like, I need to get this art piece. And my husband was like, why wow, you have so much art? And I was like, no, I, I feel like I need to get this art piece. I was like, I really like it. It reminds me of something. And when I bought them, later on, I was on my Instagram and I realized that I follow the artist already. So I was like, I would have wow. been mad if I didn't get them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the artist, she's actually half Egyptian, half Dutch or Swedish, I think. Um, so she, a lot of her art is kind of around Egyptian culture and living um, like this. So I really, I thought it was beautiful. But, so this one's not local, but all the other ones are local. Our main mural, um, when you walk in, is done by a Compton uh, native as well who does mural. And he has a part. So in it, I, mean, I wish I could show you now. I'm not there. <laughs> but That's why I'm sure Mark, you know, your husband Mark, who's been on the podcast before, actually. Shout out to him. Um, I'm sure that he'll send me over some, you know, pictures and we yeah. can throw it on in the background during, you know, while, while we air, when we air the podcast. So yeah That'll yeah so yeah and and that piece um he kind of him and i we talked a lot about color compton and thinking about what are we what's not usually highlighted right when we think about representation in compton and art 
you know, everybody always wants to paint the Easy E's, Kendrick Lamar, Serena. And it's like, okay. Now. Yeah. It's like, okay, cool. But, you know, we, we don't see Serena walking around the street. We don't see Kendrick walking around the street. You know, and a lot of these folks haven't been here in a long time. So, you know, what about our local carniceria? What about our local bike shop? Or what about our elderly community or Latino community or Samoan And so he did this beautiful piece that kind of highlights local landmarks. And then um, just communities that are not usually highlighted. So he, he included, you know, his own family. He included you know, Samoan or equestrian community. And it's be- it's really beautiful. I'll send you a photo. <laughs> oh, man, that's that that's so awesome. We're, right now we're talking to the founder of the Color Compton out in California, uh, Miss Abigail Lopez-Bird. Now, Miss Bird, you know, gender equality has also been a, you know, a, a, a humongous deal out here, you know, very, very, uh, how do you say, a talked, highly talked about issue in America and, you know, 44% of of owned businesses in the Latino community are owned by females. How does that make you feel? 44, you, you that said? Stat? Yeah, 44%. Like, out of, all, out of all the... I know you... Do you want it to be 100? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think no, it's... But, I think it's awesome. I, I, yeah. I'm happy that it's starting to level out a little bit more. Um I think that especially, you know, myself speak of my own experience, you know, being a Mexican-American first-generation student, woman, Latina, um, it, you know, I definitely had to experience uh, different challenges when it comes to wanting to start this, you know. Um, I do have two little girls. I am married. And I feel like everybody expected me to do certain things, right? Um, I think my parents at one point thought, okay, you know, she's doing this right. You know, she's like, hey, she got her school degree and now she's married. Now she has kids and she has a good job. All right, mija, like you did it. And then I was like, actually, I'm going to quit and I'm going to do this. (laughs) And they were like, um, are you sure? And, um. You know, I I think that it's partially me and and I think my husband, I'm I'm thankful that he's so supportive of this, but I've always done my own thing. I've always been like, this is what I feel like I have to do and I'm just going to do it, even if other people don't understand it. Um, And I've gone off on my own a lot of the times, you know, from the very beginning when I graduated high school and I was going to go to college. I was the second one to go to college. My sister had gone off to college before me, but she went to a local um, school. And then she started, she moved back home and she was commuting. But for me, I remember I uh, accepted to go to college like six hours away from home without telling my parents. I just like, I was like, okay, mom. Okay, dad. So I already accepted going to UC Santa Cruz. So I guess you guys have to take me, drop me off. And they were like, wait, what? They're like, there's schools here. Like, why did you have to leave? And I was like, well, I already accepted it. So unless you don't want me to go to college, like I have to go. And I went, I moved away six hours away. I was 17 at the time. And I didn't move back home until 
I, you know, and I had my kids and everything. And so that was like, I was away for like 10 years um, on my own. And when I was in school, after school, I got a great job. And my parents were like, okay, you know, you have a good job. And I was like, okay, this is a decent job, but this isn't what I'm supposed to do. And I left. And everybody's like, what? And then I was in New York and working, you know, afterwards when I got married and started having, even before I had my kids, I got a good job. And then I was like, nope, I have to leave. <laughs> and then I got, I got here to Compton and I started working a job. It was good as well. And then I was like, nope, this isn't it. So I had to leave. And so I've left like good careers many times. And I feel like people sometimes think, um, you know, oh, you know, financial stability and thinking of, of a good job. And I, I think that that's great for a lot of folks. If that is your calling, if that's where you feel good. But for me, that's never been it. You know, if I really wanted to have a decent job that gave me good, you know, retirement plan and paid well and good benefits, I could have quit three jobs ago, three careers ago, <laughs> three, four careers yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that wasn't it. You know what I mean? I definitely felt like I had to do this. And I feel like as a woman and as a mom, as a Latina, um, people really did not understand. And so I have definitely listened to a lot of other Latinas who have kind of paved their own way. Um, and I think it's great. I think uh, I was thinking about this actually not too long ago. Um when I was pregnant with my first child, I didn't know that I was pregnant yet, but I was in New York and I went to this movie theater over there by West Forth. They were doing a screening of Dolores Huerta and her documentary. And they were going to have a Q&A afterwards being moderate, moderated by uh, Maria Hinojosa. And I was like, okay, this is dope. So I went and part of the film was talking about Dolores as a mom. And she had so many kids. I didn't even realize how many kids she had. But, you know, I guess she wasn't taking birth control back then. And she was, she had a lot of kids. And because being Dolores Huerta, who she was, you know, she was traveling a lot. So she would leave her kids with different people to take care of them. Um, and in the film, towards the end, you know, you see like one of her oldest kids kind of like breaking down, like, you know. I was really sad that like my mom was never here and everybody would be like, you must be so proud that your mom, you know, is Dolores Huerta. And they were like, yeah, yeah but for me, it was just, I never got to see my mom. And he was like crying and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like that's so like as a woman that you have to balance that. Like, am I going to be a hundred percent mom? Or if I go and take care of something, you know, because, you know, the work that she was doing was so important. And, you know, as an adult, her kids can understand that. But as a child, you're just like, well, where's my mom? And I was like, dang, like that sucks that we have to navigate that. And Maria Hinojosa also talked about this recently in her book that just came out. And so I was like, that's so true. Like, Mark doesn't have to think about that. You know, like Mark isn't <laughs> over here thinking like, you know what? What is my daughter gonna think about me? You know, like that's not, and no one's judging him either. So, yeah. you know, uh, and that's why I think a lot of women also decide not to have kids until their career, you know, they're in a different place. But I think that that's definitely a challenge that women and especially Latinas, if you come from a conservative family that is like, 
you know, Mija, you need to be doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. How did you break from that pressure, though? Did you, I mean, did you just wake up one day and say, ah, I'm good with this. I'm just, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, <laughs> I'm going to do what I want. Because, <laughs> you know, that, that's how I wake up every day, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm not going to, you know, bend to social norms. I'm going to do what I want, and when it hits, it hits. You know, that's how I've always lived my life. But it's different because I'm not a woman. And by the way, it's uh, Women's Day, so shout out to all the yeah. mujeres, the ladies out there, El Dia de Mujeres. But and uh, I mean, but you know how, like, you know, <laughs> how do you do that? Where do you find the will? Where do you find the fortitude? Right, right. Um. Well, I mean... When I had my oldest, um, I very much, I'm, I'm grateful that the, where I was working at at the time was very flexible. You know, I had a great, you know, family leave and I was able to work from home at the time. I could take days off. I could travel with my daughter because I used to have to travel a lot for work, but I would just take her on trips with me. Um, and then when I decided to move back here to, to Compton, um, I felt like it was used against me. Like I remember my job saying, oh, well, we know you really want to come back home. So maybe um, and you have a kid. So maybe um, you could take a pay cut or, you know, you could like spend more time with your family. Like work kind of like a part time. type." And I was like. Mm, I don't know like I feel like I could really spend time with my daughter you know like I'm closer now I'm not I don't have to travel an hour to get to work like I did in New York and so I didn't feel as much pressure at that point but then as I kept working and you know I kept seeing my daughter grow up and you know my parents were like I guess happy that I was in a stable job um in a career but I wasn't happy. I was like, this is not, I'm just not that type of person, honest. Like, I just, I don't know how to explain it. That it's just not me. Like, yeah. I, I can't just sit down and be like, okay. And I mean, nobody don't get me puts wrong. baby being, in a box, you know? <laughs> right. And don't get me wrong. Being a full-time mom is so much yeah. work because yeah. when we did move out here and Mark started kind of spending more time with our daughter while I was going to work, he was like, Oh my God, I don't know how you do this. I don't know how moms do this. And so it's a lot of work and I give it to moms who are able to do that. But I remember I was really just not happy and I was scared, you know, financially because I think that was the, the burden everybody, everybody would put on me. Like, how are you going to not take care of your family, you know, financially or like you either have to take care of your family financially or you're going to dedicate yourself to being a full-time mom. And I was saying no to either. So that's what was hard, that, I, that where I felt pressure. Because it was like, you have to do one or the other. Either you're providing financial stability and health care for your kids. Or you're going to be 100% at home with them and raise them. And I was like, no. And I was really scared. And I remember having this moment where my daughter was trying to learn how to walk. And she was just like really scared. Like she just didn't want to do it. Like we would hold her hand and she would like be walking around. But as soon as you let go of her hand, she would freeze and she would just fall. She was like, oh no, <laughs> you're not holding me. I'm just going <laughs> to fall. And I remember, um, you know, I, I definitely 
thank God for all, every opportunity that I've been able to have, right? I don't think I would be here without God. And I felt at that moment that God was ta- talking to me and reminding me of like, look, homie, this is what I'm telling you to do. And you need to pay attention to me. And I was like, okay, because I felt convicted. I felt that I had been praying. I had been trying to figure out, okay, I feel like my calling and my purpose is not this career and I need to leave, but I'm really scared and I'm getting pressure from my family and, you know, just everyone. And, and then I was hanging out with my daughter and I felt like God convicted me and was like, look, look at your daughter. Cause I was telling my daughter like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like I got you. You're, you're going to be good. Nothing's going to happen. And I felt that what I was telling her, God was telling me like, just let go. And it's okay. I still got you. But I really wanted a plan because I'm sometimes a very practical person. So I was like, if I'm not going to do this. Like, what's plan B? Like, how am I going to set up? Yeah. And, I, and I wanted to hold on to a plan B. And I felt like God was like, no, you have to just have faith and do it. Like, look, you're telling your daughter to do the same thing. So, so I felt like as a mom... That's so symbolic. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? But but the crazy, I know, and it's so crazy because the moment I realized that, like, I kid you not, the moment I realized that, um, she started walking, like she she started walking, and I, and then that same week, because it was on Sunday, she started walking, and the next day I walked in, I told my supervisor, I was like, I'm putting in my two weeks, so I was like, okay, like, no, I have to, I have to let go of that. Um, wow that's crazy now switching gears back to the color compton right all right so you you know we have uh tangible forms of art with actual instruments and then you know we have graphic art now is that something that you also incorporate into uh the color compton or are you working on it well we're still trying to figure out how to include different art forms so for example our our summer internship or summer programming introduces different art mediums. So every week, a different guest artist comes in and talks to the students about their art medium, right? But the ones in the fall and in the spring are much more focused. So the one in the fall that just passed was on photography and video. And so we had photographers coming in, you know, gave them cameras to go and shoot out video and things like that. And then the one right now that just started last week, actually, um, is around painting and printmaking. And so we're going to have printmakers and muralists and painters come in to talk about that. Um, that's, bu- we, that's fire. Yeah. Well, because, everybody out there in Cali, yo, everybody, my fams, you already know. The clan. Yeah, Go, there's so Compton, many art mediums. You got to get over there. Yeah, yeah, there's so many art mediums. And I feel like uh, we're trying to focus for sure on the visual. Um, because, you know, you could go into dancing, you go into acting or, you know, different things like that. And at that, um, we're not there yet. <laughs> okay. So we're trying to make sure that no, we're... No, but you're relatively young, right? How old are you guys? Two years? You started like the year of the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Uh, before, yeah, yeah, yeah. So little, we started okay, in 2019. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. But late, late 2019. So really... Yeah. That's really crazy. Wow. So you actually were <laughs> able to survive the pandemic. That must have been nuts. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, we signed great. our our office, our office location. We signed the lease mm, like a week and a half before everything shut down. Wow. So we didn't know. We didn't know. 
And at first, well, you know, no one knew how long it was going to take. For keeping it over. Yeah. No, no, I yeah mean, nobody knew how long. Nobody knew how long it was going to take. So at first I was like, well, you know, this is fine. Yeah. Like we, you know, we'll be closed. And while everything is closed, we'll fix up the office. You know, we'll, we're going to be doing our remodeling, painting, get in at nice. So by the time everything opens up again, it's like, cool, we're ready to go. So at first we were like, okay, cool. You know, it's a blessing in disguise. Um, and then when things didn't open up, we were like, okay, so what do we do? And we started doing a lot of hybrid things and virtual things. And so, so far it's been good. And we, we still have continued that hybrid model um, and still do our community workshops online. So, Which, yeah. And those are the the webinars you're doing online, right? Because, I mean, I've seen some of your Zoom meetings. Those are great. Like, if you really want to learn about art and history and things of that nature, I, you know, I suggest it, it, that's on your YouTube channel. Yeah, on or, YouTube or on Facebook, yeah. Facebook page okay. as well. Okay, great, great. And then you're doing the webinars as well. Could you discuss, uh, you know, why you do that and if that's open to the public? Yeah, yeah, those are all open to the public. Okay, cool. And you can go where uh, social media to, to, to link on to that or is this a private link that gets sent out to people? No. Yeah, we usually put up the link if you follow us on Instagram at okay. Color Compton. Um, we always post a link right before, you know, as we get close to the event. If not, you can go on our Facebook page. They always stay up there live. And if not, you can go on our YouTube. All right, cool, cool. Well, you know, Ms. Lopez Bird, we reached a point in the podcast where it's time to play Five Words with Angel. Well, on Five Words with Angel, I'm going to give you a word, phrase, or a question. You're going to give me the first word or phrase that comes to your head. Are you ready? Ah, okay. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm really scared. I don't do well on the spot, but okay. <laughs> It's about everything we spoke about. Don't worry. I'm not going to throw you any crazy curveballs. Uh, the first word is California. Compton. All right. All right. I like that. The second word is phrase, actually. Woman's empowerment. It, it can only be one word. It could be whatever you have. Word, phrase, sentence. Um, Legacy. Nice. I like that. Third is my one of my favorite parts of Cali, man. I can't wait to go back. Beaches. All the beaches are Um Sun. Okay, cool, cool. The fourth word is Latina. Mujer. All right, all right. And the fifth and final word on five well phrase on five words with Angel is your favorite. Compton musician. Oh, musician? Yeah. Yes. I mean, for sure, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. Shout out to Kendrick Lamar. You win. Yeah. <laughs> you are Abigail's favorite Compton artist. Well, Miss uh, Lopez Bird, you know, could you let the uh, folks know that are listening and that are going to be watching, um, you know, a little bit, uh, not a little bit, but a final statement on, you know, about the color Compton, why if they're in that area or nearby, or if they want to fly in to you know uh, be part of the of the movement, why they should be part of uh, the you know want to be part of the color Compton. Yeah, yeah. So color Compton, it's a nonprofit here in the city of Compton in California. 
and it's centered around art and history really to work with youth because we believe that the more that you know where you come from, who you come from, um, better impacts where you want to go and who you want to become. So that's why we focus on on history and use art to have those conversations. And we do have an office um, and a creative space here in Compton that folks can stop by and visit. We're right in downtown Compton. Um, and we have programming both in person and virtual for folks to join in. That is fantastic. Social media handles, where can we find you guys? Everything is at Color Compton. So Instagram, okay, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. C-O-L-O-R-C-O-M-P-T-O-N. Yes. Did I spell that right? C-O-M-P-T-O-N, right? C-O-M-P-T-O-N. Come on, think about Kendrick. Yeah. Well, Ms. Lopez Bird, it was a pleasure to have you. We're really thankful that you were able to give us some of your time. Everyone, please go out and check out The Color Compton. And anything else, final word? Thank you so much. I appreciate having this conversation with you, especially cross-coast conversation. So thank you. I got a lot of love for Cali. Everyone, that was Miss Abigail Lopez Bird, the founder of The Color Compton. Don't forget to subscribe. Tap on the notification bell. Social media is at Angel of Words ENT. Visit the website, www.aowent.com. And if you want to leave a donation, it is uh, at is Cash App, AOWNYC. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. And we'll talk to you later. <laughs>